0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Why is Heritage Radio Network important to you?
1: HRN is very nostalgic to go into because it's really the only place that you have this really warm, homey experience to watch people get together and talk about the things that
2: really make a difference.
1: It's really fun when I ask guests, do you want to be on Heritage? And they're like, are Roberta's? Yes, 100%.
0: I believe that we all are really trying to bring people together.
2: Right. I think Hello. getting this more Lisa people excited about good local, well crafted food and away Washington, from big ag and, and, listening to the farm and tasteless commodity food Network is so important. About the people, it's kind of an honor to be sitting there with so many in a space where so many other people have sat today.
0: Join HRN's so before vibrant my community for multiple years. I
2: wanted to a member today. First of all, is the last show of 2019. So we will be taking a break for a few weeks and We'll be back on the air the week of January 13th, so in the meantime, I hope you all enjoy the holidays, um, and we'll see you in 2020. Um, I also wanted to quickly bring up um, the fact that I saw a film last night, Dark Waters, um, which is a true story of a lawyer who uncovers illegal dumping of chemicals near a farm in West Virginia. And I've... I've never done this before, I've never brought up a movie on The Farm Report, but it kind of blew my mind. And it's not about farming per se, but it is about one of the biggest agricultural chemical companies, Dow DuPont, um, which actually, earlier this year, they split off their agriculture division. It's now called Corteva. But it's all part of the same system, these big chemical companies that make pesticides, um, herbicides, insecticides and um the movie is about these chemicals pfoa pfas it's going to be an ongoing issue it's a really disturbing movie but it's really really worth seeing so i just wanted to put that out there for anyone who's interested in um, the food system and the companies that control a lot of the farm system Um, it's definitely worth going to see Okay, so enough about chemicals. Um, My guest today is Chris Damico. He's the creator of Farmed, a platform that connects chefs to local farms in and around Atlanta, Georgia. Chris, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me.
2: Sure. So you are based in Atlanta, is that right?
3: Yes. Uh, Currently, Metro Atlanta is our focus.
2: Got it. And what's your background? Um, are you are you a chef like how did how did farmed come to be?
3: I wish I was. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I was in the restaurant industry um, running and operating restaurants here in metro Atlanta. Um, just trying to source local food is really hard right um, you know our, our customers want uh, local food you know. Uh, the trend in restaurant uh, is local food. The National Restaurant Association this year um, is their number one stat. You know, consumers would choose an establishment that sources locally over one that doesn't. And so, you know, as you really start to look at this, you're trying to figure out, well, wait a minute. I'm in a uh, a city like Metro Atlanta. We have an abundance of agriculture within three hours of us, but I have no access to it. Um, and I can't get to it in any scalable way. Um, And so I started talking to uh, friends of mine, some business partners that have been in the agriculture business on the farming side for, you know, decades, um, family generational farms, and, you know, found the farmers were frustrated, uh, you know, as much as I was. So, you know, when you've got a supply and demand that want to get to each other, and somehow there's there's a problem. Right. Right. Why are we not being able to? Communicate and and work together to um, both buy that local food and then on the farmer side be able to sell it, which is going to be higher margin for them, you know, branding for them, um, you know, all the benefits that farmers get from representing their own brands versus going through wholesalers. So that's really how it started. And, you know, this platform uh, was the solution, a marketplace that manages sales and logistics for farmers to be able to, to, to do that.
2: Right. When did it actually launch?
3: So we're in our 23rd month. Okay. So early 2018.
2: Got it. So, and when you say, you know, you wanted to source local food, but you couldn't get to it, what, what, are some, what were some of the barriers that were standing in your way? Like, why, why couldn't you get to it?
3: Well, <clears throat> kind of two, twofold. I think the first thing is, you know, the local food uh, ecosystem already exists been around for thousands of years, as far as I can tell. It's not something new. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, most countries still source the food that's closest to them and work their way out. Well, here in the U.S., it's kind of backwards. Um, You know, our average food is traveling over 1,200 miles to get to us. Right. Um, And so these local routes really didn't exist. So for us, it was really a logistics problem that needed to be solved. Mm. Um, And Farmed is a zero-warehouse local food platform. And what we mean by that is, you know, we don't believe that farm-to-table can exist if it's coming from a warehouse. Okay. We think farm-to-table should be represented for what it, what it is, which is food coming directly from a farm or, or a farmer's market in, in some cases. Um, so typically chefs, um, you know, have to, who do want to source local food um, are, are either working with farmers independently, which is not really scalable, um, is unreliable. And then on the farm side, you know, farms that are working with restaurants specifically directly, um, you know, end up spending all their time chasing money and collecting checks and doing deliveries, and then the time left to actually do the farming. So that's that's the problem that we set out to solve.
2: Right. So if there's no warehouse, um, what does the actual supply chain look like? Like, how does the food get from mm-hmm. farm to restaurant?
3: So we pick it up every morning at the farms and we deliver it right to the restaurants. So every day, you know, we're picking up from a different number of farms and we're dropping in a different number of customers. And, you know, the farm is the warehouse Right. I think is, is the key. Um, and so, you know, if you want the freshest, fastest, safest food, buy it direct from a farm and have it delivered, you know, within uh, hours of either, uh, you know, being processed or, you know, uh, even being harvested.
2: Right. So a lot of what you do is trucking really, right? <laughs> like,
3: yeah, well, right? I mean, logistics is yeah. a big piece of the platform. I mean, that's the big barrier. Um, you know, big warehouses and trucks that you see that dominate, you know, predominantly the, the majority of the food system, you know, that's what it's for. It's for high volume. Mm-hmm. Um, local food doesn't do well in high volume situations where, you know, I've got to go through brokers and wholesalers to try to get my product to market. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to sell you two 18 18-wheelers full of food. Um, I don't have that type of um, capacity. Right. So I'm kind of cut out of that system, right? And it's a very contract-based system. Right. Big, big contracts. And, and so the spot market, the cash market for farmers doesn't exist anymore. Um, but that is... How it's been done for centuries right yeah Um, farmers would show up in the city center and they would sell their goods to you know and let the market uh, dictate you know pricing and what-have-you so it's really bringing the you know the cash marketplace uh, back to you know where it was originally and being able to do that in a scalable and um, you know repeatable way is what we're focused on
2: right So, our how many farmers are you working with at this point?
3: We've got about eighty-five farmers. Uh, All are going to be within about three hours of Metro Atlanta currently.
2: And how how are you recruiting them? Like, how did that that uh, process work, especially when you were first getting um, up and running?
3: You know, we started. um, We're pretty ingrained in the the restaurant community here in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. Um, and so talking to other restaurant owners and chefs, our chef community, um, we started with the farms that they were already working with, um, you know, who found great value in, yeah, I don't want to be in the delivery business and uh, don't want to be in the accounting business and chasing money. So that's how it started. And then solely but surely, you know, uh, through referrals, farms, um, you know, talking to another farmer in our area and saying, Hey, have you heard about farmed? And it just kind of, you know, went from there, but most cases, you know, I just got off the phone with a, 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 a local farm up in Charlotte, um, a chicken poultry farm, and, you know, really want to be able to sell in the Atlanta market. They've got some accounts, but, you know, they don't have uh, representation here. They don't have a last-mile logistics solution. They can get to Atlanta, but that's, you know, uh, but then doing that final mile delivery... Um, is the barrier so? Right. Um, when we talk to farmers again, it's pretty, pretty easy value proposition for them. Uh, you, you, you maintain by selling direct r- to retail uh, versus wholesale, you're going to earn more money. And you know, the, the, we don't sell food at farm. Farmers do. We're farmer reps, so we're just there to make that connection and help build that relationship, and then coordinate the sales and logistics in the background to make that scalable and reliable.
2: Right. Well, but. In a way, though, you are sort of the intermediary, right, between the farmer and the restaurant? Um,
3: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, but but at the same time, you know, we're not buying the food and reselling it. Farmers put their product on our market, and if it sells, they get get their rate, and then we take a flat rate for the logistics, sales, and a a farm fee um, that's still, you know, putting them in a uh, price-competitive position in the market.
2: Right. Oh, so they list whatever they have available and can um, restaurants see directly. Um, is, it, is it an app or like an online? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep. So, so can yep. restaurants see in, in directly um, what's yep. available and just order it like right on the app? Correct. Okay. So, yeah. So, right. so you're sort of facilitating a, a more direct relationship and then um, are funding it all by just taking a fee or a cut of the sales.
3: Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. we're assets over, uh, you know, or access over assets, in other words. So we're a, you know, asset light really, you know, versus a capital intensive, asset heavy model that you see, traditionally, um, you know, in in the food system today. Um, but leveraging technology to be able to streamline these relationships and getting the food from point A to point B is 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 really the key to, I think, you know, unlocking. Uh, what local has to offer um, which is pretty abundant and that's where the market's moving you know people want more transparency in the food system not less right um, you know I'm just somebody just sent me an article there's three uh, you know brand new E. coli outbreaks that they're trying to track today you know th- this is just going to continue mm-hmm. and you know not knowing where that food's coming from makes it really hard for people to trust the food that they're putting in their bodies Right, Um, And so that is a global, not just a trend in here in the U.S., but that is the number one global trend um, is transparency in the food supply system. And so to solve that, building a direct food supply chain alleviates, you know, that major problem of knowing where the food's coming from. Yeah. Um, It's interesting.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that more um, people haven't done this in different places. I mean, the only other... Um, company that I know of that really has done it in a big way is uh, Farms to Tables in New York um, in the Hudson Valley, and a lot of restaurants mm-hmm. use them. I, I but I I mean, when you were like doing research, are are there models like this that exist around the country? Um, it's just strange that more people wouldn't take this on and and develop these systems locally.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're building a marketplace first, which is really hard. Mm. Marketplaces are really hard. Um, we're also managing and taking on the logistics, which is really hard. So so it's a you know, difficult we're, we're trying, task.
2: <laughs> what's that? It's a difficult uh, business model. So maybe that's why yes. a lot of people don't. Correct. Do it, right? Yeah,
3: that's exactly correct. And I would say that, you know, everybody uh, that has, you've seen, you know, this model in some form or fashion but. Typically, again, the logistics is is where um, they get hung up, right? They don't understand the logistics side, and they're relying on, um, you know, a warehouse hub-and-spoke model, which, you know, doesn't work for local food. It just doesn't fit into that model from a price point. Um, and so being able to create a model that is, um, you know, asset light and using resources that are already uh, on the ground working and utilizing them more efficiently, you know, is, is the formula that we've chosen. And um, there's a couple companies that we've, uh, I'd like to say, kind of modeled, um, you know, ourselves off of it through our research that are in other countries
0: mm. that are doing
3: this and scaling very fast because they're using, you know, this type of logistical model. So, and I, I believe that, you know, you'll start to see more companies uh, tackle the bigger problem of logistics and understand it. Um, so that, you know, that, that this can, you know, really take off. But yeah, you know, this is one of the fastest growing segments in both agriculture and food service and retail grocery. Um, you know, you're not walking into your grocery store, seeing a whole section of local food. Why? Um, you know, you're not going into every restaurant, seeing a list of all the farmers they're working with. Why? Right. You know, we should, and that, that 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 can happen, and it is happening, and uh, we'll continue to, uh, I think, accelerate as more companies like Farmed, um, you know, are established and prove the model works.
2: Right, absolutely. Um, okay, Chris, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we will be right back after a quick break with more with Chris Damico from Farmed.
1: Listen to Heritage Radio Network because, let's face it, you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spins All, or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. 10 years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters, like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community.
2: We're back. This is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report. And I've been talking to Chris D'Amico, the owner of Farmed in Atlanta, Georgia. So before the break, Chris, we were talking a lot about the logistics of of how Farmed works. Um, And you started to talk a little bit about... How more people are interested in local food and um, the benefits <laughs> of local. Um, I want to I want to dig a little bit into that. So, what what is the messaging that you um, use most often to talk about the value of local?
3: Well, really, you know, three things: direct. Um, you know, buying anything direct. Um, you know, you know what you're getting. Um, so getting food direct from farmers, um, you know, speaks for itself, especially when you're dealing with food, um, you know, transparency, I think is the other big piece. Um, you know, no warehouses means you get local food faster, fresher, safer, and you know where it's coming from. So that transparency is, I think, really key, Mm uh, especially as, you know, restaurants want to market that back to their end customers, um. And and I think the other piece is really just the equitable nature of supporting local farmers and local businesses, um, you know, especially in the food community. That's really important. So those are the three things that we focus on mostly. And our mission is really to connect local food and community or reconnect local food and community to create that transparent, sustainable, and and more equitable food system.
2: Right. And... What about inter- if people are um, interested in what is actually happening on um, the local farm? So for instance, you know, mm-hmm. if they're interested in, they, they want to only buy food for the restaurant that's organic or, you know, they want to know about the practices the farmers are using if they're building soil health, you know, things like that. Do you facilitate relationships where they can learn more about the individual farms and their actual practices as well?
3: Absolutely. And so, you know, again, we, we like to say we don't sell food, farmers do. So, you know, the farmers are able to build a profile to tell their story um, and share what their farming practices are, um, you know, how they see the world of farming and, and what their unique, um, you know, methods and, and techniques are. But more importantly, they are also able to post their certificates, their mm. uh, Primus audits, their GAP certifications, their organic certifications. So, you know, your chefs can come on and see that information, learn about the farm, um, learn about the, 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 the folks, you know, behind the farm, um, and then also see, you know, the different certifications and things that, you know, they worked hard on to establish, um, you know, to, to better communicate the value that you know, their food over maybe somebody else's food. So, yeah, that's really, I think, the key to it is, uh, you know, giving farmers the ability to kind of take back control of their brand mm-hmm. um, as opposed to that getting lost in the shuffle through all the middlemen um, who aren't going to be able to represent that farm's uniqueness or uh, value-added proposition the way the actual farm can.
2: Right. Right. And, you know, talking about um, the representation of farmers, that that also makes me think about um, this thing that happens really often, uh, which is that people say they're sourcing local and they're not. Right. (laughs) I mean,
3: yeah, there's we see it all the time.
2: Right. I mean, there's you know, I, I hear from farmers that I talk to, you know, they'll say, oh, someone bought, you know, a crate of of you know, greens for me once. And then I went back to that store three years later and there's a picture of me on the wall. I'm just like, what? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, all of this, like what you're doing costs more, you know, you're, it's it's hard to, to make these things work economically. How do you, um, how do you deal with that? You know, sort of like, there's no regulation in terms of like what people, what you can and can't say when it comes to like sourcing locally.
3: Well, there's kind of a couple things. I think, you know on the on the chef's side, the desire is there mm-hmm. it's it just comes down to you know reliability and availability and a lot of times you know sourcing local currently without a, a farm and the helping coordinate it all it's not reliable and it's not um, you know always available, so it becomes hard for them to work that into their their menus and their, their food program. Um, you know, one of the things that we're doing is, and you can see on our website, com slash certified. Mm-hmm. So we have a farm certified program where, you know, restaurants can sign up to be certified. And then we work with them, um, you know, to help them market that back to their customers. You know, it's an annual thing. So you have to you know, you can't come into the platform, and you know, just get farm certified. We've got to come talk to you. We're going to look at you know how much you're buying, and mm. and and you know, are you really committed to that? Doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, buy all their supply from farmed, obviously, right? Right. You know, we don't sell canned tomatoes and you know, paper goods, things like that, uh, like a, a typical broadliner would. But um, but we can help them market that back to their customers through a farm certified program if if. You know that's what they really want to hang their hat on, um, and and you know that's something that we're working with a lot of restaurants here in Atlanta on, and seems to be uh, well received in the market, uh, as well as the consumers that are coming to those establishments that get to now go and see what that means. Um, we did we lay that out on the on our website. So yeah, I mean again, it's an education part education, right? Uh, for the consumer, but more importantly, you know, it's being able to provide a scalable, reliable, flexible system for these food service establishments to do this, you know, at scale.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's really um, interesting that you say that there's plenty of demand from chefs. Um, I mean, it, I, I, I see that. I guess sometimes, but then it also is really surprising to me how few chefs are sourcing locally. And I mean, I guess part of what you're saying is, you know, because there's, it's hard and there are all these barriers which you're trying to address. Um, do you ever get pushback from chefs just on cost? Like, you know, people who say, well, I would source locally, but it's just too expensive. Like Cisco's always going to be well, cheaper. Yeah, I mean,
3: that was, you know, that was the... the one of the big problems, right, is, like, why would local be more expensive? That doesn't make any sense. Right. So, so, but that was, and that is kind of the, the, the thought is, like, well, local is more expensive. But it's like, well, you know, why is that, right? It's the mm. food that's closest to me. It should be cheaper. So, by creating, you know, leveraging technology the way we are, um, you know, our, our food is not more expensive. In a lot of cases, it's, it's less expensive. Huh. Uh, because our, you know, our overhead model uh, and asset light model, we're able to return the margin back to not only the farmer, but as well as the buyer. Hmm. But we have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of SKUs that, um, you know, are in some cases the cheapest you can get in the market. And by the way, it's a local coming right from a farm. So you know, creating that value proposition is hard to pass up, but that's... You know that was the goal. Like we have to, local has to be easily accessible, and you know I shouldn't be paying more for it. If anything, it should be cheaper. Yeah. Um, and getting more value for the food that I'm buying. So that's that's really our our take on the market and and what we're approving. Um, you know, over the last twenty three months.
2: Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's incredible. It seems like if you can do that, that's sort of (laughs) the like. That's the key. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. What is next in terms of the future? Are you trying to just grow in terms of, um, you know, serving more restaurants, bringing on more farmers, or is the idea to eventually expand to other regions and, like, replicate the model in other places?
3: Yes. Yeah, so we have an expansion plan Mm. uh, that we will start, um, you know, late 2020. Um, You know, we're really focused on building out – you know, taking all of our, everything we've learned in the last 23 months, you know, we're building our playbook here in Metro Atlanta. Uh, so we will continue to penetrate this market, get the unit economics even better. Um, and then, yeah, we, we are getting ready to raise our next round of funding. Mm. Um, and then we will start, you know, kind of the, the, the second phase of this. We'll, be, you know, really before we truly scale, Um, but, but yes, that is a goal of ours. You know, we have 60 cities that we want to be in, in the next five years and, um, you know, fill that niche that's not being filled, which is, you know, local food at scale, um, you know, in a reliable and and more, you know, flexible way than it currently exists.
2: Right. And would you expand outside of restaurants? Like, could this model apply to, for instance, you mentioned grocery stores don't have, you know, nearly as much local food as one would expect. Um, would would this apply, or do you think you know it? It's a model that is specifically designed for restaurants.
3: You know, we're focused on the restaurant community right now, specifically the chef community, because we feel they're you know the tip of the spear. They really lead the way in food trends and uh, you know what we would consider innovators in food space. Um, but I will say that um you know we do have uh half a dozen grocery stores um, mostly independent that are on the platform um and we we do um plan to really address that part of the market hmm. um uh, after after we finish this next round of funding and yeah i mean the 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 retail folks it's a little bit of a different problem little little you know different challenges but yeah. nonetheless The grocery stores are in the same boat, right? They want to be able to source um, local food by store uh, and, you know, where you would walk into the grocery store and you'd have a section of 10 or 12 different farms that are within a couple hours of that grocery store. Mm -hmm. And being able to do that at scale across, you know, 10 or 20 grocery store units in the metro area is uh, you know back to the whole volume game, right? It's hard for them too.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so you know that is a big part of our roadmap, and um, you know I see a huge opportunity in that space, just as well as food service. Because again, they're both in the same boat. They want it. The demand's there. Um, it's just it's the the service and the the supply, um, you know, has to kind of be matched, right? Right. So you've got to build that out. It takes time. And you know, this is, um, you know, an infrastructure play first, not a demand first play. And you have to get the infrastructure and the monetization correct first before you can really create the demand or, you know, go after the demand, but the demand is obviously there. Um, and, and, and learning all of those lessons, you know, takes time and building that playbook you know, we want to get it right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, excited to see what's in store in the future for Farmed.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. And obviously, we appreciate what y'all do. And um, you know, anytime you want to update, just let me know. And uh, we'll keep listening. And everybody, happy holidays.
2: Great. Thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and share it. I'll see you in January.
1: This program is powered by Simplecast.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com.